This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, tonight I have a mega power-packed uh, roundtable. I have uh, Super Inframan. Hello, hello. Christopher Ernst. Power on. <laughs> Barbara Fisher. Hey, y'all. And Greg Bishop. Power on as well. <laughs> Greg, it's been way too long since you've been on this show. It's been quite a while. Thank you for having me back. So uh, we're gonna do we're gonna do something I've actually not done before. Uh, so we do. Uh, I, I will give patrons the opportunity to add, do an AMA, ask anything. And usually we do that as a pa- Patreon show, but we're gonna do this as an actual show because I got so many Patreon questions and they were so good that I figure we'll do it as an actual show, and this will be what we talk about is these uh, these questions as many as we can fit into a show anyway. So. Uh, and of course, if you want to become a patron, you can do so at uh, wheredidtheroadgo.com and just click on the Patreon link, and that will take you right there. It's only $3 a month. And we're going to start with MJM. I, I handpicked this first question because we have Greg, and it's actually a really interesting question. Oh, he says, we see trends in witnesses' experiences. What causes that? Co-creation and social expectation? If so, how does the very first Shadow Man, Rainfall of uh, Frogs, Nordic UFO, Bigfoot, etc. happen? And how, uh, how long before the internet did the idea of them spread? Are other factors at play? That's a huge question. I don't even know where to start with that, except to say yes. <laughs> In the yeah, first it- place. And it's like, well, I don't know. You know, how, how do things start? They yeah. start because people see something and they report it. Um and I think that what's going on when somebody sees something and reports it, and I've been talking about this for a while, and it, you know, co-creation to me has kind of morphed into, well, what does the brain do? What does your visual system do? What does trauma do to the brain? What does, yeah. how do you tell stories? How do people accept stories? Um, what do investigators do when they come in and talk to people? All these things, I think, go into making something a fad or the thing that people see. Um, well, like Whitley Strieber's cover of Communion. Everybody sees that now. Yeah. But that didn't come out of a vacuum. That's what Whitley said was as close to as what he saw as possible without giving everything away. But it was essentially what he saw. Um, so every you know everybody sees that now. But not everyone. I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's kind of a, an attractor for, for people's experiences. Um, and somehow people were waiting for that. It's so strange that, that people like suddenly saw that image and remembered things that happened to them or, th- or said they did or really did. Who knows? But it was it was such a touchstone. Yes. And hmm. I, 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 you know, I, I think I, I was interviewing Whitley or something like that. And we I think we talked about 
you know, did that come from the visitors? Is that what they wanted us to think? Or is that something, you know, is that a future coming back to the past and, and you know, inserting itself there? If you talk about block time universe or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know if I'm answering the question properly. But, but yeah, there are fads. And yeah, there are, you know, um, uh, ways people look at things that go through periods. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, as I, I was talking to somebody the other day, it's like the, the, the phenomenon is just going to keep going no matter what. There's always going to be something going on and we're never going to be able to fully explain it. I don't think, well, at least not in our lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah. Which also, is fine. <laughs> I, I, I don't care. I, I think a lot of this stuff probably is stuff that our brains can't perceive directly because we need some so our brains need something to play off of they need some paradigm so if we encounter something that's completely literally alien not necessarily extraterrestrial but alien to our experience uh it oh. doesn't necessarily know what to do with that yeah your brain has to have a place to put things and to conceptualize things because otherwise if it doesn't it just you forget it yes. you know because there's nothing there to yeah. hang it on yeah and right. so if yeah. there's something there i mean you know I, I think i've said this in one of my talks is that the brain will look for something to hang it on, even if it resides in dream logic. At least it's something that your mind knows. Yes. And so and, that, yeah, it, it, it Donald Hoffman's work, you know, the uh, visual uh, intelligence, um, he said that we, we see, and I think a lot of people know about his work now, but we see and remember what is important to us and helps us survive. That's the way our brains work. Right. And even if, you know, if it, no matter how you look at it or what you conceptualize, it's what your brain can use as a place finder so that you can, you can remember this the next time if it happens. So your brain's just like, okay, that's that box and I didn't have to run away this time or whatever it is. <laughs> well, that's, that's it too. I yeah. think when the brain doesn't know how to process something, that's scary. So, you know, when you get monster encounters, that might just be that the brain's going, ah, what this is, so it's a monster. Right, right. Yeah, right. the... Monsters are scary, the, and this is scary. I also think... A, that, that's ahead. like Ho- Jose from Outer Space, that episode of the X-Files. Jose Young, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where, yep. where, you know, one guy saw an alien and another guy saw a monster, and nobody knew what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it, it, and then... You know, a dude wrote a novel about it, mm-hmm. but it, it, you know, you don't know what you see. Yeah. And I, I wonder if we, you know, as time goes by, and, and I think you've all touched on this, you know, fit our experiences to a, a new description that makes more sense. Uh, you know, because of the, the question talks about shadow people and there was a house I grew up in that we saw like a shadow person at the end of the hall, but it looked as if, you know, if you take a piece of uh, drawing charcoal and like swipe it across a page, you know how it's not a solid black line. There's yeah. Yeah. It, it was a silhouette, but it looked like it was drawn out of that charcoal. And yeah. so it was, right. you know, yeah. textury and you could see through it and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know what that was when I was a kid, but after I got exposed to shadow people and I'm like, well, that's a shadow person. Right. But it's not quite yeah. traditional shadow person. Yeah. That's where your I brain wants to stick yeah. it. So you can right. deal with it, remember it, talk about it, and tell us about it right now. And I think yeah. I think the two sort of theories that want that at least I always go back to in thinking about this, and particularly when I guess in the original question they're asking about trends and you know what I guess how things would spread prior to the internet. And you know, not that Jung was sort of the 
end all be all of this, but I do think this idea of the archetype um, or wherever you want to find that, if you want to look for it in terms of, you know, uh, not archetype, but the you know, figure of the wild man and maybe how like Tim and Josh looked at Bigfoot and how you have these different iterations of the wild man that existed, you know, so there's this uh, that sort of notion of the archetype uh but then there's the other notion which is uh you know the the morphic resonance uh rupert sheldrake notion too mm-hmm. of uh this sort of thing where you know this idea or or a skill or something like that spreads without us really knowing how it's working it's working because of some sort of collective memory that's in natural systems um and i know that's not answering the question necessarily but i think those are two sort of theories if we're going to pull from different places those are a couple places that i i look to yeah i think it's very go ahead no go ahead um the other thing i kind of run to is uh uh, uh, information theory which has fascinated me here for like maybe 10 years which is that and john archibald wheeler the the nobel prize winning physicist he was dealing with this in the last 10 years of his life his idea was that everything in the universe is at its very base information it's just infor- it's pure information. It's not atoms. It's not particles. It's not galaxies. It's not your dog. It's just information. And through a series of yes or no questions of like, is it this or that? Is it this or that? It eventually turns into very quickly or who knows how long it takes or even time is relevant to it. But it is formed into what we see as physical reality and our laws yeah. of physics and all that. Yeah by our consciousness interacting with that information. And I was talking to a UFO researcher a few years ago and he said, that makes sense because if you look at a materialistic universe, all this stuff we're talking about is really weird and it doesn't really work. But if you look at it as pure information that our minds can do what it want with or at a conscious or subconscious level, it makes total sense. All this weird stuff is not weird at all anymore. It's normal. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of these things come into play, but you know, not you know, not under the rubric of one or the other. I think a combination of all these things may be happening, and you know, in an individual basis, different combinations of ideas that we have to have discrete ideas about happen. I'm sure it's, at one level it's a whole that we can't understand, but in the ways we explain it, in the way we, we use language, and the way we part things out into into pieces and like a machine or or a mechanism, that's how we think. So we kind of have to get at it by stabbing at it by, you know, with our with our metaphors rather than actually what the thing is or the thing in itself. Like Immanuel Kant, the uh, philosopher, said, you can't you can't get at the thing in itself. It's all it's your mind, your mind's idea of what that thing is. A priority. Yeah. Yeah. The thing in itself is not accessible. And when you start looking at anomalous things and UFOs and lake monsters and ghosts and all that. The thing itself, we really, really don't have access to it. So all of our thinking is is even more, I think, of a metaphor. Well, everything's a metaphor, but for these things, we don't have we don't have metaphors that, that stick really well, like like uh, like material. Yeah. Well, and and you can have you know many of these things may may be uh, like you can have there, there could be. 15 different things going on in different ghost encounters, but we we lump them all into ghosts. And the same yeah. with UFOs and the same with Bigfoot. I mean, like, we don't know. You know, it's like certain things can be similar and present differently, and other things can be presenting similarly but be completely different. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he, yes. he, mentions, yeah. he mentions a rainfall of frogs, and that that's the one I feel like maybe doesn't quite fit because generally that's a very physical phenomenon. Whatever's causing it, 
you know, everyone sees the rainfall of frogs. It's not an interpreted uh, encounter right. type of thing. Right. It like, wasn't frogs. It was lizards. Yeah. Everybody yeah. sees the frogs. They're frogs. Right. Yeah. And who knows where they came from? Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they they weren't frogs when they hit the ground or they they became frogs, you know, three feet right. above the ground or whatever. Because right. if a frog fell from the sky, it would die. Right. <laughs> probably. Right. So, you, think. you know, I, I was talking to somebody about UFO debris the other day. And he said, what do you think that is? And I said, I don't think it's actual debris. I think it's an avatar for a UFO crash, not an actual UFO crash. Yeah. Mm, fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. And that would explain why, you know, the, the materials that, that they've recovered are from terrestrial elements, but they're put together all wrong and weird in yeah. ways that we can't do without it being hideously expensive. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Or, or it even- can it can't be done in gravity. It has to be done in space or, you know, whatever weirdness it has to it. Yeah. It's just as self-negating as the phenomenon itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if strange things like falling from the sky could also be a mass apportation type of event. I've wondered that for a long time. Yeah. It's kind of what I think about the UFO debris. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways it's apported, not, yeah. not something that crashed and left pieces. Those are yeah. pieces. Yeah. Um, and they're stand-ins. They're like I said, they're avatars. They're 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 like they're like having a you don't have the saint there, but you have the saint's bones. So that stands in for the saint, even if it's not really the saint, everybody believes it's the saint. So it might as well be. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and when you look at flap areas, like especially monster flaps, I think it might be that somebody yeah, sees something, they they interpret that something as a monster, and now the people who follow have a paradigm for when they encounter it and eventually that energy, you know, wears itself out or whatever and the flap stops. Yeah. yeah. But that's why you get multiple encounters of the same thing because it's been, you know, once that first person says, I saw, you know, this this hairy monster or this lizard man or the moth man or whatever, then everyone who follows that who encounters something weird goes, oh, that must be the thing I heard about. Yeah. And, yeah. Even pre-internet, yeah. you had newspapers and stuff who wrote about this stuff, and you had word of mouth. So that stuff, I mean, that's probably why you have so many different variations of Bigfoot around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about is a is a model for people to use and that they don't have that beforehand. And so your brain wants something there. So yeah, I mean, we're basically answering the question that you put at the top of the hour, I think, in, in a very roundabout yeah. way. But it's yes. kind of yeah. It's 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 just something that's provided there, whether consciously or not, or collective consciously or not, for people to wrap their a metaphor to wrap their experience around. I do think, though, that the Internet has done something uh, uh, and I don't know what it is, but we but it's changed something. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like there's oh, like it that moves, moves yeah. faster. Yeah, it it, yeah. it moves faster and it helps people create Tulpas and create yeah. folklore like the Slender Man. Yeah. yeah, just wait till there's an AI cryptid. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> oh, wow. it, it's gonna happen. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, yeah. Until, yeah. There's yep. a, until there's a what cryptid? AI, an, an, an AI artificial intelligence cryptid. Yeah, something that was created by AI. All of this, you know, all this stuff I'm doing, playing with AI art generators. Eventually, we're gonna get a cryptid that actually comes out of the AI. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people start seeing it around, yeah, and like that, that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know. Uh, uh, 
uh, AP uh, and I talked about that with Soraya too one night where we were talking about was it super composite that kept having the same woman show oh, up in Loab. Loab. Yeah. Loab, yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was freaky. And, and that's definitely like I feel like that's the beginnings of exactly what you're talking about. Um what I I could see someone having an experience, like a real life experience, and using lobe or loab, whatever it is, to fill in that blank. And then yeah. that was the 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 architecture there. It's like writes over it, it, and that's what it is now. Yeah. You know, as, as an aside, speaking of like the idea of AI cryptids, like I'm waiting to see people talk about interacting with unknown AI over the internet that don't exist. Uh, I, I feel like that's something that we'll start seeing happen too. Probably. Probably just by saying it and having people listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that seriously I, when I back in the 1990s when I first moved to Athens um, I'd been here not even a whole year and uh, people started seeing weird little lights in the woods now we did not know that that was a thing that happens in Athens that you know people for for generations and in fact the first mention of it I found was from the 18th uh, 19th century so um, there have been little lights bouncing around in the woods and, uh, we started seeing them and, you know, the first time I, I wasn't the first person to see them. Um, it was, it was all my friends had started seeing them in, in different places. And so they, they were talking about, and what, you know, what, what do you think it is? And I'm like, well, I don't know, but you know, willow, the wisps and, you know, pixie, pixie leading and all that stuff you know whatever it is don't go out in the woods and and you know try to find out what it is because that's probably bad never follow the lights and uh later we started seeing then i i finally saw it in a group of people and i've wondered ever since if the fact that i grew up sort of imbued with fairy lore from my family if the the whole permutation of that phenomena started shaping itself because people asked me, you know, a friend of mine said, Hey, I saw a glowing orange humanoid out in the, the woods where we saw the lights, you know, what should I do? So I told him to leave an offering because that's what you do for the fairies. Right. So they don't mess with you. And, uh, he did. And, and it did get eaten. And, uh, he he was trying to be clever. He put it where there there was mud, you know, so that it would leave footprints. And there were no footprints, paw prints, or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had put a a glass of whiskey with a cocktail napkin with like mixed nuts on top of it. <laughs> and when he came back the next day, the whiskey was gone, the nuts were gone. The napkin was balled up and it was put under the glass that was turned over upside down over it. But there was no footprints in the. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, But I wonder if it didn't start shaping itself because of what I suggested. Right. And it just got weirder and weirder and weirder as time went on. Um, And then it got to be spectacularly weird. Yeah. but it did form itself into that folklore 
So I wonder if I didn't, you know, suggest that to it and to my friends. So they had something to to hang it on. I wonder what would have happened if I'd said, I don't know what to do with it, but, you know, don't go mess with it. You right. Know, I did, didn't give the fairy lore answer. You know, what would have, would it have looked different? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Every once in a while, someone will say, well, you guys won't even consider the extraterrestrial hypothesis, but you're okay, okay with the Fae. And I, and I think that the misunderstanding there is that the Fae is just another paradigm. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, we, we're okay with literal fa- you know, fairies. It's that this, 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 this folklore does a better job of explaining the phenomena than the extraterrestrial hypothesis does. Yeah, yeah. It's not off the table. That's why people's like, why are you yeah. talking about the extraterrestrial hypothesis? Because right. it's the least interesting to me. Right. It's also the one with, with some of the least amount of evidence, really, when you look at it. Yeah. And a lot of times the extraterrestrial hypothesis is really, it's so, so limited, even when it comes to extraterrestrials. Like, look at, uh, you know, look at the way that, uh, you know, popular, uh, uh, like the the, the Penny uh, uh, comics and novels and science fiction, proto-science fiction before the space age depicted uh, extraterrestrials. Very different, much more fantastical. um, Mm -hmm. And it's become so limited and so focused and so well frankly materialistic it's very like when people use the term nuts and bolts it's not that like i don't think there are structured craft it's like nuts and bolts you know uh, like a craft that's built like something from you know stargate sg1 something built with our metals using you know the physics sort of that we know that has like i don't know wires in it and you know a floor and a ceiling and stuff like that that even those there might be those too, but this idea is so narrow in terms of what, at least to me, the extraterrestrial hypothesis means these days when somebody says it. Yeah, human centric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not. So it's not a. Oh yeah, you know we we believe in the Fey, but not extraterrestrials. It's nope. These are paradigms, and the Fey one actually works fairly well at at least giving it something to, to hang you know, hang it on, as we said. Uh, whereas the extraterrestrial one, there's not a lot there. And really, and like I said, there's very little proof. A lot of the proof is just assumptions that you're seeing a craft. Yes. That must come from outer space or it's been uh, hypnotically, uh, you know, someone gets hip, you know, hypnotized and they, oh, they're from Zeta Reticuli. But once you're hypnotized, that's that data is very questionable at that point. Yes, I'm I'm very famously against hypnosis to enhance somebody's testimony. Yes. I, I think it's a bad practice. It is a very bad practice because it does not recover lost memories per se. No. It can it can enhance actual memories. That's yeah. the interesting thing. So if the person can consciously remember it. Uh, they can they can enhance that with hypnosis, but if they don't remember something, because uh, Jenny Randall's did that, she she had an event in her life that she did not remember part of, and so mm-hmm. the part she remembered came through crystal clear and hypnosis. The part that she recovered with hypnosis because there were records and she could you know they could check them. The, she found out that nothing she remembered under hypnosis was correct. Like all yeah. the recovered memories were wrong. Oh, yeah. And that's why she was against hypnosis, and she got uh, the UFO groups in the UK to stop using it. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I, I actually implanted false memories in somebody as a joke. Not under hypnosis, though. Oh. I just convinced them that something happened that never happened. <laughs> because I wanted to see if they would believe me. See, I have to be careful with using my superpowers because sometimes I use them for the forces of evil. And this was one of those times. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that wasn't very nice of me, but it was really, really funny. And the reason that, you know, I, I even bring this up is because I wasn't even, they weren't under hypnosis. Right. I convinced them that a, a, an interaction between two friends happened in a way that it never happened. And they believed me. Well, yeah, memories, memory rewrites every time you try to remember something. So if you're convincing enough, you could easily guess. Like, oh, yeah. To believe yeah. something that never happened. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. That was really mean. It was funny, but it was mean. <laughs> so I, I don't. And hopefully harmless. Yeah, it it was. Over, overall, it was harmless. Um, but it was one of those times. And my husband was like, you know, he was there. He didn't argue. Um, but, you know, when we went to the kitchen to get something to drink, he was like, what was that? And I'm like, oh, I wanted to see if I could make them believe it differently. And he was like, you're evil. And I went, well, you know, I just wanted to know. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, did you tell them afterwards? <laughs> yeah, did you tell them afterwards? Nope. <laughs> okay. Nope, that, that, I did not. You did use your powers for evil then. I did. I did. <laughs> but now I know. I know that it can be done, so I don't do it. You know? Yeah. And, and if you're very confident about it, especially, people will start to doubt their memory. Yes. Yeah. It is really scary how well that works. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, they're not using witness testimony taken from like police interrogations as much in trials anymore for that very reason. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's 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 fallen out of favor, I believe, because there's just so many problems with it. I mean, look at what's his name, Brendan. What's his name in 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 t t t making a murder? That 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 poor dumb kid that he got they got a confession. Oh yeah. Out of him. He went to jail. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's why it's kind of not used anymore. Well, they did that with the uh, West Memphis three. I was they? about yeah, to Damian bring Eccles. them up. Yeah. 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 And, and that was such a stretch, too. I mean, there wasn't even that much witness testimony of any kind other than people talking about them like around school and stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were just the weird kids. They were and, the weird kids. Yeah. And there there was a lot of hanky stuff in that in that uh, investigation mm -hmm. like you know the tooth marks didn't match any of their teeth yeah. um yeah. but one of the stepdads of one of the murdered kids got all of his teeth pulled out for no good reason right mm. right yeah i forgot about yeah, that yeah so yeah man but yeah i mean memory is such a uh, easily manipulated thing and even not manipulated, I mean, we just remember things wrong sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's not, a, you know, I think people are starting to understand now, and I'm sure people who listen to this show understand this, that that it's not like a computer writing data. No. Or if it is, it's a very bad, bad, corrupted hard drive it's writing <laughs> the data to. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, when you go back to that recording device. Yeah, because everything is just like we're talking about vision and things, too. It's it's all just for survival, you know. Yeah. And so it's it's not really meant to be a, you know, real to real. Let me rewind this and replay it. It's, you know, at some point it was to not die. <laughs> yeah. But you, you got to wonder if that information is stored somewhere because you have those those life recalls when people have near death experiences. That's true. That's very true. Uh, of course, so accurate. True. Yeah, yeah Greg and I are saying the same thing. What if it isn't exactly accurate? Well, sure, sure, but I mean, we no way of knowing if it's accurate. They're really right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I, you're, 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 sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Your mind makes a memory in a split second before you're even aware that it's making a memory. So you have no access to whatever that thing was. All you have access to is your impression of it. So I think in the Invisible Gorilla, they said that memories are. Partially what actually happened, partially how you interpreted what happened, and partially your emotional input of what happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the one the one thing I would add to that is your memory of what happened. Mm-hmm. And also your memory when you tell the story to somebody, which also right. al- alters what you remember. Yes. Wouldn't yes. it be interesting? The, the listener or whatever. I thought it wouldn't it be interesting is that if that moment of death uh, – sort of recall was not just you like uh, he's, he's basically having your own subjective experience, but that, you know, if you go it, when you were, you know, further into it, if you're able to sort of see it from all the different standpoints uh, of the other people that were impacted or affected by uh, your behavior at that, at that moment. So you're sort of recalling back and you're seeing the, uh, I guess more of an objective standpoint, along with your subjective standpoint. So I don't know I, if there's ever been that. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I asked Shirley about that. Shirley, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Said that yes, you pick up how your actions in life affected other people, both good and bad, mm-hmm. and and not even necessarily just the direct actions. And that makes right. me wonder, like when you get these people, like someone like Hitler, you know, whose actions caused the torture and death of of so many people right does he get to experience all of that when he died right that's hell yeah, right. exactly. exactly yeah that's i mean you know if you think about the other cosmologies that we in the west don't talk about a lot the ideas of reincarnation and karma come from somewhere and you have to wonder you know at least i wonder at least this is particularly with my upbringing when i hear an account like that from cheryl lee you know and then i think about you know the, the all the sort of uh i guess the cosmology that i am aware of and grew up you know learning about in terms of karma and reincarnation you have to wonder if exactly what you just said uh barbara if that you know that's that's it you know like that's hell when people Mm -hmm. say they have hell that's it yeah i I would think so and i know for a fact i'm gonna pay for you know gaslighting my two friends (laughs) but (laughs) i I am gonna pay for that Uh, but you didn't didn't hurt them no i didn't i really didn't and they weren't necessarily the best people anyway themselves right. <laughs> um right. so that's part of why i didn't feel guilty about it right, uh, right yeah. immediately as i did it these buttholes, I think. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah the whole idea I, i've read a few accounts of near-death experiences where someone says 
you see your life, but you also judge your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so instead of God judging, it's you judging. Yes. And yep. because you feel what the other people felt, it is more objective. Yeah. Well, that maybe that is so God judging. That is God. Yeah. Right. It, exactly. If, if yep. we are, as the um, Hindus say, if we are all pieces of God, yes. well, then. Yes. We are God. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm not yeah. saying That's that in a high and mighty way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not yeah. in a high and mighty way, but. No. We are accountable to ourselves and each other. Exactly. Because we're God. Mm-hmm. And, and interestingly, that's the same thing Seth said, is that, you know, when you when you die, you have that life review and you feel what everyone you affected felt as well. Yeah. You know, I had this one friend that he passed away about a decade ago. He was a uh, uh, Pima indigenous person and was the sheriff on a reservation. And I, I never got to ask him, like, where he came up with this, if it was something related to his beliefs or it was more just a, you know, country, you know, rough uh, area kind of attitude. But uh, he would say sometimes karma chooses you uh, to pay somebody back, <laughs> essentially. Oh, yeah. And he would be like, yeah, you know, you you might have been a jerk to that person, but you know, maybe it was their turn for somebody to be a jerk yeah. to them because yep. they've been a jerk their whole lives. That's really, that's uh, I think that's a really good way of looking at it too. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah. 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 He, he would say that all the time. And then other things about like time proving you right. You know, he was an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're half an hour in and we've answered one question. <laughs> we're doing well. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah, that seems about right to me. I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty pleased with that actually, because these are like I said, these are great questions. They are, they're always great questions for patrons, and uh, you know, like we could do a whole show. We could continue with this and do it and turn this into a whole show if we wanted, mm-hmm. uh, and probably a lot of these. So let's uh, let's change the the gear a little bit. And they said, "What's your earliest?" This came from Allison. What's your earliest uh, memory of an encounter with the other? And do you have any tales passed down from your family? So for me, I don't have any tales passed down from my family. And I'm not even sure what the earliest thing I've had happen to me is. I mean, I think the first stuff that happened to me was all Kundalini based. Um, uh, there was, there was the one thing that I know happened before I started taking notes, which was when my friend and I were walking down a dark road in the middle of the night and he stopped to relieve himself on the side of the road and someone walked between us. Oh, and there should not have been anyone there. And I, I can't imagine there was anyone else as dumb as us to be walking around two in the morning without a flashlight in a moodless night in the middle, you know, in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, I can't for sure say that wasn't a person, but it didn't seem like a person. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the earliest one I can remember. Uh, other than the the feelings of, uh, sort of dread and oppression when I was at the uh, South Haven State Park riding my bike around. And there was like an area I'd come to. It was a big open area with some trees in the middle. And I just got that you're not supposed to be here feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it scared the crap out of me. I was just a kid. And I turned around and went, I'm not going back up that way ever again, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So that, that is that, a good survival instinct. <laughs> now I would go, okay, what's causing that? I must I must go in here and investigate. <laughs> <laughs> so who wants to go next on that one? <laughs> We're all sitting here. 
I don't have so, one. You don't, you don't have one. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. <laughs> I have them, but they're not early. Mm-hmm. That's all right. And they're not that complicated. I haven't been hypnotized about it or anything. But um, <laughs> Well, that's yeah. good. I remember yeah. my mother told me she used to see a uh, like feel or see evidences of a ghost in the house where we when we used to live. We lived near Disneyland actually, about a mile from Disneyland when I was growing up, partly. Mm-hmm. And she said at night she would hear there was a there was a hanging scroll in the in the hallway, and if you uh-huh. walked by it, it would it would move the air, and you could hear the little weights hit the wall like this. Very. Mm-hmm. She said she used to hear that thing hitting the wall in the middle of the night all the time. Yeah. Huh. Was it one of the Japanese wall scrolls, Greg? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I I have a buddy that did armor restoration. He was one of my college professor that took me to Japan and things. And I think I mentioned him to you uh, in person when we were visiting. But uh, he would talk about, like, having the armor where he lived, you know, like next door to his bedroom, working on stuff. And uh, hear things go in and out of the room when the armor was in his house. Mm-hmm. But when he would take the armor to the museum, that activity would go away. Um, and then knowing your mom with the scrolls and the tea bowls and things like that, like I could totally see something just being I attached. Guess, but nothing's happened since she died in January, as far as I know. Or my dad wouldn't tell me because he's the one that lives there now. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So nothing like that. When, when my wife died, I had one, two weird things happen. Mm-hmm. Something moved across the headboard of the bed, and I have a little, I have a lead that uh, uh, has a plug on the end of US, whatever it is, uh, the, to charge my phone. And oh. I saw something move across the headboard, and then that that thing swung and hit the headboard. Huh. Interesting. And the other thing I saw, I was reading, and I looked, I saw something out of the corner of my eye, and I looked up, and a shadow moved across the wall, uh, uh, the wall opposite from the bathroom where I found her. She died. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And it looked like it looked like somebody had cut out three bushes or trees to use in a shadow play or something, oh. and they were all attached at the bottom, like to a stick or something. And they just moved across the wall, wow. like somebody had just picked up something and put it in front of a light source and just moved it across. Wow. And I I know that's what I saw because I looked up and I was like, "What the hell?" And it, <laughs> it moved into the hallway. It like went across the wall and then moved into the doorway where the hallway was, and then I didn't see it anymore because there wasn't a light there. Right, right. And I don't even I don't even know if there was a light that was shining that way that could cast that kind of a shadow. And a couple of people said, well, maybe it was a car going by outside. It's like a car going by outside is not gonna have three bushes to attach to a stick. It looks like they're cut out <laughs> yeah, that's, going across that's, the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Did that have any huh? Did that have any meaning to you, the idea of a stick you know, with the bushes? No, not at all. I had no idea what that was. It was just something weird that happened, and I definitely saw it. It wasn't like something I hallucinated. Right. I remember, I was reading, and I was like, "What's that movement?" And I look, and these things are going across the wall. I was like, "And the funny thing was, I wasn't scared. I was just kind of startled, and I thought, oh, well, I wonder what it caused that could have caused that.'" And then I went back to reading. <laughs> you know, I didn't get the chills or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, that happened, and I saw a UFO once that I've described before that looked like a six-pointed or eight-pointed star made out of. In broad daylight, made out of black hexagonal, like pencils, or or like a, pe- a pencil is hexagonal, um, yeah. or, mm-hmm. or or a quartz crystal, and they're all pointed at the end. But it was a, it had eight points, like crossed in the middle, and then at forty five degrees angle angles out from the middle, all attached in the middle. And it was just sitting in the in the air, like 
at the end of her one way, runway at Santa Barbara Airport. Oh, interesting. That was around the airport, too. Well, I had just gone flying with a friend of mine, and it had been so turbulent. We were going weightless in the seats, and he said, I think I'm going to land. I don't like this. I said, yeah, let's <laughs> land. So <laughs> we landed, and you know, we talked a little bit in the parking lot, and then I got my car and left. The wind's still whipping around. I mean, it changed direction 180 degrees in like five minutes, which is oh, gosh. rather dangerous if you're flying. Yes. yes. So I get in the car and I'm driving and then I'm about to get on the freeway and I'm going on this like on ramp to the freeway. And I come around this curve and I look and about a quarter mile away over the beach is this black thing hanging in the air, like probably 150, 200 feet in the air at the end of one of the runways like mm, at the end, end of the runway that we took off from an hour ago or less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it wasn't there when we took off. I'd have seen it. And that is weird. Right there in runway heading. Oh, my gosh. It was like if you took off, you might have run into it. Yeah, well, no, yeah, probably not because it was. You know, by that time, you're probably up far enough in the air because if you don't use up the whole runway. But mm-hmm. um, it was there. It was solid. I, I saw the sunlight from the sunset gleaming off it because it was shiny. I saw orange light reflecting off the black surface, but it didn't move. It was like attached. It was almost like it was attached to a concrete pole. But I could see that it was hanging in midair. At least I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. And half of it was sticking up. No, I think the it was so low down in my field of view that it actually, I didn't see any sky behind it. All I saw was, you know, the background, which is one of the entrances to UC Santa Barbara. And it's right next to the beach, too, if you keep, and it was hanging over a salt marsh, which is really funny. Marsh gas. Um, <laughs> you like said it, runway. so I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, there was a runway, a salt marsh, and then a road, and then sandy beach, and then the Pacific Ocean. But I saw this thing, and I called the next day. I called the, and it, oh, the dumb thing was, and this was in the, God, when was this? Probably in 2008 or seven or 12. I can't remember. But all I had was a dumbass little flip phone, which, if I'd taken a picture, all you would see was like basically shapes and a blob. So right. Take a picture. But the weird thing I did was instead of driving a quarter mile over there in five minutes, I said, huh, that's interesting. And I got my car and left. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. And then the next day, I was like, what did I do that for? So I called the airport, and they said, we didn't see anything like that. It's like, really? It was right at the end of 1-5. I mean, anybody would have seen it. We said nothing about it, and there was no reports or anything. I was like, Well, you know, know, at the same time, though, that at least says that it wasn't something uh, traditional that you just missaw. Right. It might have been, but I can't think. I even called UC Santa Barbara and I said, you guys, did you have like a class doing something near the airport? And they said, no, and we wouldn't put anything in the middle of like a takeoff or a runway. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what it was. And I reported to the National UFO Reporting Center because I didn't want to report it to MUFON because I didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Saxon, what, what, what's your... Uh earliest experience with the other and are there any family tales oh my gosh so you know i think this is one of those things that may be so prone to this is because there's a lot of like you know family folklore and things like that around strange experiences and you know uh, my my mom's side of the family her dad and brothers and uncles were all loggers in the poor south and so you know civilization wasn't quite there. My my mom didn't have running water until uh, I think she was like ten or so. That tells you oh. something uh, because they're just out in the middle of nowhere. And so a lot of the the stories that she would always share with me from my granddad were things like 
the the fireball coming out of the sky over the water while he was out fishing and uh, a woman you know tall beautiful blonde woman stepping out of the fireball and uh, he thought he saw an angel that was the story in the family and uh, you know of course now looking back in it you know you could take that as a you know what we might call a, a, a nord or a you know tall white or something like that so I always thought that was interesting because I had never considered that probably till I started listening to the show that this wasn't an angel, but it was something. Right. Uh, and then when he and my uncles would walk home, they would get a ride so far from wherever they were cutting timber and then walk the rest of the way. And they walked past an old church and every night there would be a person sitting on the roof of the church. <laughs> and, you know, this is, Old country church, you know, imagine the old schoolhouse look and you've got a good idea of what this is like. And there was a town prankster that was going to play a joke on him one night. And so before they came by, he climbed up on the roof and uh, was sitting on the roof and waiting for them to come. And sure enough, they're walking up and my granddad goes, oh, look, there's two of them up there tonight. Oh. And the the guy that was coming to play the joke looked to his, you know his side, and there was a, another person on the roof with him, and he fell off, <laughs> hurt himself, and uh, the other person was gone. So you, you know those are the things I kind of grew up hearing, and uh, I, my earliest experience is really what we were talking about earlier with the the shadow person. We saw that all the time in the house that I lived in until I was six years old. And uh, I saw it. My mother saw it. My brother and sister saw it. The only person who didn't see it was my dad. All right. Uh, Chris? I don't know if I have anything. um, Well, here, I have this one sort of family story, which has always sort of uh, been, I've, remembered it and uh found it to be pretty interesting i mean you know my whole life has been sort of a a, uh it the occult i guess and the other has always been inextricably linked with the spiritual so um and you know for anybody that's heard me talk about it before i was raised uh my parents followed a sort of obscure indian holy uh, uh uh man and so there's a lot of stuff that I was just like normal in terms of what I was learning growing up. But anyway, this had, I guess, maybe something to do with that in terms of my greater uh, uh, fate. But there was this story that was always told by my uh, grandmother. My grandmother, um, she was uh, French or she spent a lot, a long, t- a good bit of her childhood in France. Um, Growing up because uh, my great grandfather was um, in the uh, he was in, I think, the Navy, maybe not or maybe it was the Army. Uh, I actually uh, that side of my family, I'm just learning more about. Um, And I actually uh, just not to go too far off the road, but uh, recently found out that my great great grandfather, uh, this is the same line, was the postmaster of Nashville for like 30 years. And I was just in Nashville recently. We looked for his grave, but couldn't find it strange occurrence anyway uh my grandmother uh his granddaughter uh she was in france uh as a kid and she was with her friends and they were all playing uh ouija board um and she was always somebody that was you know even when i was younger and you know she was uh, around as my grandmother 
she was sort of subtly, uh, I guess, uh, you know, involved in some minor fortune telling and divination. She did, you know, sort of divine her own death. Uh, she was using playing cards to uh, draw fortunes with one of my cousins. But what that happened to her when she was a kid in France, and this was in the 20s, was... Uh, they're playing the Ouija board, and then all of a sudden she heard this knock on the door, and then she goes over, and it's um, an English uh, um, serviceman, and uh, her father wasn't really doing anything with uh, the, uh, the the British at that point. I think um, there was something else that was happening, so there really wasn't any reason why this person, a military person, would be showing up at her house. Uh, but he showed up, and he, he was there to see her, and he said, uh, my master has told me that I'm I, I'm supposed to tell you to stop uh, using the Ouija board uh, or using the it was what is another word it was uh, the talking board yeah talking board um, and that you should refrain from uh, exploring the occult for your own safety uh, any further and that's always something which you know stuck with her I don't know whether or not this is true the only thing that I've heard that kind of you know is funny and jibes with a little bit is there's this uh, uh, this quirky uh, guy you know uh, uh, really interesting sort of of uh, writer and uh, researcher Paul Weston, who's sort of the, I guess, the expert on Glastonbury and uh, occult Glastonbury, um, uh, gives these really long talks on stuff. And he wrote this interesting book about uh, the uh, Indian gurus and their involvement in uh, World War II. And this is, you know, linking for him with Dion Fortune and uh, Crowley and a lot of the people that were involved in the sort of British occult scene. But he had some similar in his father, who was a, a, a British service member, had some interesting interactions when he was uh, in in India. Um, I guess this was, you know, World War One. Uh, and um, earlier in the 20s, then uh, so like, yeah, World War One and um, anyway, so similar sort of interaction. That's the only time I've heard of something uh, uh, like that. But it was passed, been passed down through my family. And I, I still think it's funny, you know, uh, at least the way that I grew up um, with their, you know, there's a lot of talk of masters and this idea of you know sort of uh, uh occult esoteric uh ascended masters um so i've it's always stuck with me as a a family story and what, what what's your first experience with the other um the true I, I guess for me the only thing that i would consider truly an other experience is when i had what i would describe as a kundalini experience where um you know essentially uh energy base of the spine shot up went up the top of my head and uh i my consciousness went with that so i was looking at myself um from outside uh of my own body and it was seamless too it wasn't like there was no dream fogginess or anything it was you know uh like the same type of i guess awareness that you have in waking life um, that's the only thing that was that over, never seen anything, um, you know, never seen any lights, no shadow people, anything like that. I'm open to it certainly, but, um, uh, it's not, it's never happened spontaneously for me. I'm also not afraid of, of it necessarily. So, you know, I'm more in the camp of you, Soraya, I think in that, uh, I don't have an intrinsic fear of the other, um, right. 
Right. And Barbara? All right. So I'll tell you a family story. Um, this this happened to my mom's side of the family. And uh, it it happened when she was a girl. And she said it happened at the big farm. So it was after they had moved to West Virginia. Um, they had originally been living in uh, uh, New York, up, up near the border at Niagara Falls. Yeah. And uh, my grandfather got a job at a munitions plant in West Virginia. So they, they moved and uh, they bought a huge farm. I always assumed until this past year and a half that the big farm was in Putnam County, the same county that the farm I remember them having was, that it was just, you know, a different farm in that county. But no, I found out from my aunt, who ended up living on the farm with them after she married my uncle, that it was in Mason County. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it it's it wasn't like on Camp Conley Road, but it was near there. Um, and Camp Conley Road is is where lots of UFOs and, and Mothman sightings and stuff happen. Um, so I had no idea that it was Mason County that this happened in through most of my life. So but but the story went that they had a dog and they went to town one day. So they, they went to Charleston. So that was, a you know, an hour and a half, two hour drive at that time. And they left the dog in the house and they locked all the doors and windows. You know, everything was shut up in the house. And they came back and they opened the door and the, there was no dog. You know, it didn't come running at them. It wasn't barking and so that was strange. And so they started looking for the dog. And my grandmother walked into the kitchen and there were bloody paw prints on the floor. Jeez. In a circle as if it had been chasing its tail. But there was no sign of the dog and the doors and windows were still locked. Um, so that is the creepiest of the family stories. Uh, and they never found the dog? They never found the dog. Wow. The dog. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Qualifies as creepy. Nice one. Yeah, that definitely <laughs> qualifies as creepy. Uh, they also had a um, a ball lightning incident in that house where a orange sizzly mom said it was a little bit smaller than a basketball um, size thing come through the window and roll around on the floor, sizzling and sparking. And then it just sort of went through the screen door and back out Wow! while they're all sitting there watching it. And it messed up their radio reception too. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. And Mason County. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah, and when aunt Nancy told me that it was in Mason County, I was like, ah, so many things. So many things make more sense now. Wow. Now, what's your first encounter with the other? Um, having glowing white blobby looking people come through my wall, my bedroom walls. 
and just sort of three of them just sort of stand there and stare at me. Um, they were about three feet tall and they were humanoid, but they weren't, you know, real well-defined. They, they, they were kind of fuzzy, you know, like they were only halfway there. And I call them blobby because they, they weren't, they weren't graceful looking. They weren't slender. They certainly weren't grays. You know, they, they weren't skinny with huge heads. Um, they did have big eyes, um, but they didn't scare me. I don't know why. How old were you? I think I was about three. Yeah, because that's, that's after we moved to the downstairs apartment. So, yeah, was, I would have been three. Do you think there's any chance that those were the three things that were projecting and looked like trees on Greg's? <laughs> it probably was. That's what it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then the, They didn't look like trees, though. They okay. just looked kind of kind of like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, but a little bit skinnier and not as tall. Didn't have the hat. Um, but they were just weird. Huh. Yeah. They didn't talk to me. They just stare at me and they did it more than once. Um, but I don't think I was ever, you know, abducted. Uh, I don't remember weird medical experiments. None of that. I, I, w- I would feel like more like that's ancestors looking in on you. Yeah. Or, sure. or um, you know, ghostly creatures that lived in that house that yeah. just were curious and were like, oh, hey, look, there's a kid. Yeah, they were in another time stream looking at you because you were a ghost in the bed. Yeah, yeah that's that's true, too, because the one person that I, I've seen that I thought of as a ghost was basically a um, silhouette, a reverse silhouette. She was white, oh. but she was a silhouette. Mm. And she I could tell by the way she was dressed and the way the outline of her hair was that she was she was dressed like from the 1950s mm. but that wasn't that house that was a different house but could have been huh. maybe it's maybe just the way you in costume actually <laughs> yeah just a glowing white thing because when <laughs> i went as a blank space i just dressed all in like the deepest black <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice i just saw a a a news story of somebody seeing uh, some teenagers being scared by a guy in a black gimp suit creeping around on all fours. Man, that's dangerous. Yeah. Because when I was like deep in my PTSD, I would have stomped him. (laughs) I can't imagine that there's not anybody else that would have done the same thing. (laughs) Wow. All right. We got to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Check out WhereDidTheRoadGo.com. You will find an archive of every show right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, Discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons, And give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. 
Chuck Shudders, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, J., James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Oli Andre Olar, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D, Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very much. This show would not be what it is without all of you. And you're listening to Where Did the Road Go? And I have with me Greg Bishop of the uh, occasional podcast, Radio Mysterioso. Yes, let hello. Try, let me try to say that correctly. Radio Mysterioso. What was that? I said, <laughs> Hello, I'm the host of... Go ahead. <laughs> well, that was great. Uh, Barbara Fisher, who is the host of Six Degrees of John Keel. Super Inframan, who is just a superhero, and uh, Christopher Ernst of Bright Rectangle Films. Yeah, that's right. I host things. There. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have been taking uh, Patreon questions, and I think we've done uh, two. <laughs> so let's see if we can do one more before the end of the show. I'm going to go with a slightly simpler one, but kind of a deep one at the same time. This one coming from Aaron. Uh, does a mundane exclamation make something meaningless? For example, if you found a dead dove in the middle of your living room, which is a true story, and you assume the cat dragged it in without you noticing, even though you were making dinner nearby, would you give it significance or write it off? And my immediate response to that is there are a lot of things that can be explained mundanely that still have intrinsic meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I I also think the world is in, inherently a lot more uh, magical than people think. And that yes. because something physically in the world is manipulating it to some effect doesn't mean that it's any less magical, especially if it means something to you. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's the idea of, like, Carlos Castaneda of, uh, you know, looking for, uh, what do they call it? <sighs> Where's Red Pill when we need them? Um, like omens and stuff in the environment. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Animism. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an animist way of looking at the world, that the world's communicating with you through various means. <laughs> right, right. And coincidences and synchronicities and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, I mean, if that dead dove had a meaning, you know, if you felt like, oh, this kind of suggests it doesn't matter how the dove got there. 
it didn't have to apport there. It could have been dragged in by the cat, but if it if it had an impact on you, uh, then it it has it has meaning. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of very mundane. And look, look at Mike Clellan's work. I mean, you know, he has plenty of very mundane owl reports that then, you know, kind of had that that synchronistic sort of feel to them that that wakes someone up to something. Yeah. Just because an owl is real doesn't mean it doesn't have a meaning. Yeah, especially owls. Yeah, owls an owl are. It's not just an owl. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think that's a very important point that, that yes, it doesn't have to be paranormal to have, have like intrinsic meaning. Yeah. The, the problem is when people see meaning in everything and then it gets a little complicated and yeah, because uh, I, I've dealt with people like that or known people yep. like that. And it's just kind of like, and it's weird. It's, it's sometimes the people go through periods like that and then they kind of get tired of it. Um, there's a, uh, William Burroughs did a, a talk uh, and he said that uh, one of his students came up to him and he said everything he heard or experienced seemed to be referring to him. Like he'd hear radio things or, or, or somebody speaking in the street and Burroughs said, well, of course they refer to you. You're the one that's hearing them. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was trying yeah. to like demystify it for the guy. It's like, well, I mean, it's just a more uh, 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 it's a more extreme version of just regular living. Um and, yeah, I think if you can use these things to your advantage, whether they're mundane or not, just like you said, then then that's good. That's that's you know, it should be used. And if you want to call it magic, call it magic. If you want to call it coincidence or synchronicity or whatever, call it that. But if it's useful to you as a tool, then fine. If it's not, then it's not. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've got, you know various things around here and things that I notice. And sometimes I think they're significant and helpful. And other times I don't think they are. And other times they make me laugh like hysterically because of the coincidence or the significance to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes the, the ones that make you laugh are the best ones. Oh yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got, that happens to me practically every day, not hysterically, but I'll just see something and I'll just start chuckling. Yeah. Yep. I left the. Um, I went to the um, um, the uh, remote viewing conference in uh, International Remote Viewing Conference in Menlo Park a couple months ago, up near San Francisco. And I left. I mean, it was over, and I got in the um, got my car and left to drive back to L.A. And the minute I got on the freeway, I saw a license plate that said Sage CRV. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that must be one of the remote viewers. And I looked in the car, and it's like, no. And then I realized it was a sage-colored uh, a Honda CRV. <laughs> I took a picture of it too. I was like, oh wow, oh cool. And then I kind of looked. I was like, oh, it's a sage-colored Honda CRV. Okay, but it was still funny. Oh, it's and it was still meaningful to me because I'd just been to the remote viewing conference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes I feel like when things fall into feel like they're just falling into place, that's mm -hmm. like okay, you're where you're supposed to be, even if they're not necessarily good things all the time. Mm -hmm. It's still like okay, those things are clicking in a way for a reason, and yeah. you know, uh, we did a we did an episode of the last eggs of the lost years and years ago, where we called them Russian roulette episodes. And every talk break, we would spin a wheel. I forget if we had the wheel at the time. Maybe we just had a, a, a you'd reach in and draw something out of a bag. And my one co-host, every time he drew something out of the bag, it was bad. 
<laughs> and yeah. like we would just laugh because normally we would if we were going to plan it we would plan for bad things to happen to him just you know for for the the gag and like we didn't plan anything but every time like he had the option of of picking one or passing it on if he passed it on it was a good thing and if he picked it it was a bad thing and we were <laughs> dying and finally, like it was uh, one of our listeners' birthdays, and we said to him, we well, used to sing him happy birthday because he sings the worst happy birthday in the world. And I'm like, no, 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 you know what? No, just pick a pick a bullet. P- you know, reach in and pick a bullet. And he picks it out, and it says Joe Sings. And we're like, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, <yep. laughs> yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah, perfect. I, I, when I went and gave that talk a couple of weeks ago in Athens, um, it felt like, for various reasons, um, Diana Pasolka showed up, which was great. Josh was there, and um, and uh, Dave Metcalf, who put it together, and then Kiki Dombrowski stopped by, too, because she was driving to uh, Nashville. But it was very weird. After that talk, and in the next few days, it felt like there was a giant door with a, with a neon sign saying, go through this door or you're going to be really sorry. And it had to do with things I have to do in life and the things I've been keeping on hold and all that. It was really weird. It was just like all of this came together just from, and it was one of the best talks I gave. I, you know, people didn't, you know, people came in with no idea of what I was going to talk about. I got applause in the middle of it. When I asked people, are you following this? Cause I don't want to get too up, you know, too up inside myself and not make any sense. And most of the time, you know, go to UFO convention, they go, yeah, okay. But this time, not only were there no questions, people like started cheering and clapping. I was like, Nice. That's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then I got some really nice comments about it afterwards. Diana said she liked it a lot. So I was like, oh, wow. I mean, maybe this three-year period of life kind of sucking for lots of people, including me, maybe that's over. Or maybe it's changing into something else. But for some reason, that weekend, just it, there was this weird transformation going on for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we have time to squeeze one more in here. We'll go for this one from from James. Uh, He says, I've heard so many deniers say that the UAP UFOs are not real. Uh, What about us who have seen nuts and bolts (laughs) craft up close and know for a fact they are real? Uh, who are behind the people trying to resist the truth? Now, if I remember, I know James has been on before and he had a UFO encounter. Uh Uh-huh. But I think just because they look nuts and bolts, first of all, doesn't mean that they're actually yeah. what they look like. Go back to what I was sort of saying before is I don't think that uh, I totally believe that you saw, you know, a, a structured craft that looked yeah. like it was yeah. a thing at 100 percent. Yeah. Who's behind it? Oh, God, I don't even well, know. I don't, yeah. You have the you have the denial of it, even with, you know, the right. New York Times article and stuff like that. That's you what still I was have... laughing at. I wasn't laughing at the account. I was laughing at it's like, yep. people Same still? Yes. Yeah. Still doing yeah. this? Yeah. yeah. No, you know what? That is, we that have is... no time for those people. Yeah. Go away. Right. That's it. Probably the best answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I have anything's going on. You are worthless to us. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even gonna listen to you it, it's the skeptics who say things like well you have to prove it to me it's like who are you that i have to prove anything to you i don't have to prove anything to you get away go away yeah. so we, we all got stuff to do now now as far as like disinfo and stuff goes though i mean confusing the situation is the best thing that the government can do mm, using the information and framing it is the best thing they can do yeah 
Yeah. Okay. All right. And what do you they think? They use it to their own purposes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying the government. I'm talking about Faction. elements, factions, yeah. intelligence, the Defense Department, things like that. I don't know what they feel about the subject. I don't know if they believe it or not. But it's it's such a radioactive subject <laughs> that you can you can hook any part of it onto somebody's interest level and just lead them by the nose with it. It's happened before. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So and, you said you said it was radioactive, right? Yes. So have have any of you read Trinity yet? No. Yeah. 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 No, I know. I I I totally hit where you're going. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I was I was being metaphoric, but you understood that. Go ahead. So, one of the things that Valet has been searching for is where the government keeps their real information about UAPs, UFOs, whatever. And he's talked with lots and lots of people of various. Uh, security clearances and none of them can tell him anything or they don't know. And he infers in Trinity where it may be, where the information that he's been seeking all this time has been. He says it's in the Atomic Energy Commission. Really? Which nobody can get into. Yeah. And that is the point of kind of the whole the whole it's almost like his final statement yeah um, that book is that it has to do with nuclear weapons and that's where it's hidden as well Bill Wright was talking about this too or in his his talk at the uh conspiracy the strange realities conference uh adam go rightly was uh speaking about this and i think this is i don't know if this is part of his uh i think this is his new book which you might know greg better than i um there's a little bit on it in there as i remember yeah Yeah, saucer spooks and coops yeah but no i think the new one that he's working on he is he is because he specifically was talking about all everything that barbara just said yeah yeah Yeah. you know i think any jacobson in that area 51 book touches on that some too um yeah, but but I, what I was going to say, and I think, and go rightly mentioned this too, which I I love is that uh, in episode eight of Twin Peaks: The Return, um, uh, you see David Lynch uh, and Mark Frost have a little fun with this, you know, yeah. uh, this That's very idea. Yeah, the whole episode, yeah. which you know, mm-hmm. from many standpoints as a filmmaker, I love, but I also think it's an interesting sort of prescient uh, uh, take on that current, mm-hmm. that particular line I of flight. Watch that again now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I skipped ahead to watch it specifically. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, again, that gets back, back to the, you know, there's, there's no reason to completely dismiss the extraterrestrial idea. Uh, but just because it's a structured craft doesn't mean it's extraterrestrial. It could still, it could still be something that looks like something it's not. Uh, it could also be structured and not necessarily from another planet. It could be from under the damned ocean for all exactly. we know. Exactly. Yeah. Having just read an account in Ivan Sanderson's old book, Invisible Residence, of yes, a fireball love- coming up out of the ocean and into the sky. Yes. Flaming yep. fireball. Fireball. Not just that's not a metaphor. It was on fire. It was flaming. Yes. 
Yeah. How does that work? That's one yeah. of those things that whoever saw that, you know, they just stood there for a minute going, what in God's name did <laughs> I just see? Yeah. Because physics doesn't work that way on our generally on our plane of existence. <laughs> exactly. And we all know that. <laughs> yeah, that guy that um, I'm like a total fan of and championing right now, Finn Handley from England, he is mm -hmm. doing videos. Of, oh, great. Now I got to get him on my show. He is doing videos <laughs> of witness testimony. And what he does is he talks to the witness. I think this is great. He talks to the witness extensively back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and does a, a, a CGI representation of what they saw. I nice. think that's great. And when you watch them, it, to me, they're the closest you can get without having to experience yourself or a VR or something like that to what the witness saw, because he keeps until they say that's it. He keeps changing it. No, it was a little bit this shape. No, it came from this direction. No, the timing is different. And then he'll make a video and the video has no set, no, no, the only sound it has is sound effects. Like if they were in a car, you hear a car engine. If they got yeah. sitting outside near a pool, you hear like pool water. Right. And some okay. wind. But that's it. And so that's great. It's, it's uncanny watching these things because you feel like you're the person as close as you can get to somebody that has. Sounds great. Yeah. And uh, he, and he said like he's, he used to be, you know, quite, quite a bit more cynical and skeptical. But, you know, he's had his own sightings and stuff, and he animated those. But he's getting to the point, and I use this in my talk. I was just like, you know, it was about art and art and the humanities and UFOs rather than rather than science. And I said, if you, you know, there's a couple things that are getting close to this, and one of them is Finn Handley, and the other one I showed was a um, AI animation of the original account of St. Teresa um, the one that the, 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 the Bernini statue, the ecstasy of St. Teresa is based on. Mm -hmm. okay. And the guy got the original Latin translation of as, as firsthand as possible. I think it was firsthand from the Catholic Church that was investigating her for sainthood. And so they've taken the actual real Latin and translated it. And that's what he did the AI based on. And it's one of the most weirdest, uncanniest, strange like disorienting things I've seen because what he did was he plugged all those words into um, what's it called? Mid journey. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah. Mid journey. Yeah. And just adjusted and adjusted it till it, you know, made more sense in, in light of what was going on. And then of course it went on the internet and just looked for every image that might come up with that. And then the, the, the then he, anim then the, then mid journey animated it. And what it is is like probably, 500 depictions of saints and fire and flaming swords and, you know, religious ecstasy and all that. And it all morphs over the course of like a minute and a half. And it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And I asked him, I said, have you done this with the UFO witness stuff yet? He said, no. I said, are you planning to? And he said, I don't know. Why don't you do it? <laughs> but the point I was trying to make was, in my talk was that it's somewhere between Finn Hanley's representations of, of witness testimony and that a, that uncanniness. And the, the guy that did the animation, he said, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the uncanny on screen. Yeah. So, so what I said was 
if you can get the witness to describe to you what happened and plug that into mid journey or whatever, it's not going to look like what they saw. There's no way it's going to look like what they saw. But what I want to do is find out what they saw. I mean, find, find out what their description is, then show them the video. And I, I'm going to say, I know it doesn't look like what you saw, but it doesn't make you feel like what you, how you felt when you saw it. Mm. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's good. And I, I, you know, that's kind of the, front edge of what I'm thinking about these days. Right. That is an interesting experiment. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it could be BS and not come to anything, but it's kind of fascinating. No, I think that's good because, I, I mean, that's something I've consistently been uh, you know, really interested and obsessed with is this idea of, and I'm, you know, going at it through the lens of a, a, an artist and like a visual, uh, you know, visual artist, filmmaker, but this idea of you're representing what is the unrepresentable almost like you have to, uh, you know, I mean, good film in many ways is about creating some sort of subjective mood in the viewer and less about what's on screen. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about there is a really good uh, uh, meshing of, you know, what we have available in terms of the technology to create this but then also this idea of representing something not through it being like an isomorphic imprint the exact same thing but yeah. through it's so, you know interpretive it's what you know in many ways what people say you know what art is trying to do or spiritual art has been trying to do you're trying to uh, express the ineffable but i think that that's a really good idea to you be using this you know uh this tool that has this ineffable quality to it i'd be really interested to see those yeah, I, <laughs> I would too. So, but I have to train myself to to, to use right. these things or right. find somebody that yeah. can help. Um, they aren't that hard to use. Yeah. I okay. I I was trying to think of the oh, and the reason I want to do this is because it's the closest you can get to having a UFO experience on demand. Right. Right. Yeah. If yeah. you can get close to that and like stick a VR helmet on somebody. Yeah. 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 Do yep. some kind of thing that shows them what happened and also makes them feel like, whoa, I mean, it gets to the clo close, closest they can to this uncanny feeling. Mm -hmm. Maybe that will, you know, at that point, the people that are saying this doesn't happen, they'll really have to shut up because nobody will care anymore. <laughs> you know, the other thing you could do is, you know, put some electrodes on their heads and, you know, see what parts of their brains are being activated and it would just be interesting because you can't do that with someone who's actually having a UFO experience because right. those little UFO bastards don't like, you know, show up when you want them to. Right. And you can't just walk around <laughs> with, you know, electrodes on your head and hope for them. I mean, they'd show up as soon as you took the electrodes off. Either that, that or, work. Yeah. Either that or the electrodes would stop working as soon as they showed up. Oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Whichever way would frustrate you more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I fear I've said too much about something I'm trying to do here, but I hope we answered the question, whatever it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I think that's where we're going to end the show. Can all of you stick around for a Patreon? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. We'll, we'll answer a few more questions in there. Uh, but let's let's let everyone go around and plug their stuff. Let's start with Greg. I have nothing to plug except Radio Mysterioso. It's RadioMysterioso.com. And I've got a couple new shows up. Um, one with um, uh, Mike Masters, uh, the time traveling uh, 
uh, Extratempestrial Model is his book, and also Jeff Kripal uh, talking about the Superhumanities book. Nice. So those are there. Yeah. And, oh, and I, fi- I fixed the um, the Apple podcast thing so it works now, so everybody can get them. Okay, and you have hey. you, you have books out yourself too. Let's not let's not gloss over that. Yeah, um, uh, uh, it defies language, which is a collection of stuff plus some extra things, just essays on everything. Project Beta, which we've talked about. Um, wake up down there, which was my magazine in the in the nineties with my friends that I did, and uh, Weird California, which was part of a series, and also um, yeah, uh, UFOs reframing the debate, which I have a, a essay in there and a bunch of people talking about excellent stuff, none of which is the ETH. Yes, all right, uh, let's go with Chris. Uh, you can go to bright rectangle, uh, enterprises.com or bright rectangle.com. Uh, and that's where it has sort of a collection of the films and things that I have done. And yeah, look, look, uh, forward, uh, for the film that I've been working on with Soraya about where did the road go? And sometime in the, uh, new year, uh, we, we should have something for you people that want to see it and uh, buy it and purchase it and all that stuff. And, and, and also your movie, one of your movies is on trauma, isn't it? Yeah, you can go, you can see the hill in the hole, which is a uh, crazy sort of discordian uh, film that I made with Bill Darman and uh, Adam go rightly. You can see that uh, on trauma. And then the other films are on a- a- Amazon uh, on prime. Yep. And uh, Barbara, uh, my podcast, Six Degrees of John Keel, is available at sixdegreesofjohnkeel.com, or you can get it on any of your podcast servers. And uh, I'm working on a book, but it's not ready yet, and it's in the very beginning parts of being done, so I'm not going to talk about it yet. (laughs) And uh, Super Inframan? Uh, you know, I, I, I uh, loiter around Twitter and Instagram a little bit and the Discord. And otherwise, you can find me here probably listening to this show or Barbara's or uh, Greg's, in fact. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thank everyone. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. The rest of the AMA questions will be answered in the Patreon segment. If you want to become a patron, it's only $3 a month. I recommend doing it after the first of the month um, because you get charged at the beginning of each month. So do it early in the month. That way you don't get double charged. But uh, yeah, tons of content and uh, tons of extra content. You get the shows a week early and uh, you get to participate in stuff like this. Normally I only do these as as Patreon shows, but these questions were really good. And I decided uh, a full show was in order to answer some of them. All right. So, uh, we're going to take you out with some Psyche Corporation. This is Worrying World. See you next time. Come in. Do you need me? Do you understand the numbers pouring over your connection? Into perfection. Five, eight, eight. Have you heard the singing soaking into our transmission? 
Getting to the heart of the universe Venture calls and titrate Chambers number 1597 And counting And counting been listening to where did the road go this show is made possible in part from our patreons and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange you can always find everything where did the road go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com and thank you so much for your support <laughs>